time it is. That's right. It is time for the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud partner of the Chicago Cubs and the only place to get your Cubs debit card. You can get yours today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Now, Cubs fans, if you tuned in to Cubs Live before every single baseball game on Marquee Sports Network, then you know that we like to do a little thing towards the end of the show. It's called Weather Applied Metrics. You see there's either blue arrows or green arrows or red arrows that are pointed in every which way as it pertains to the friendly confines of Wrigley Field. And we let you know how the jet stream is working, where the wind's blowing, will the ball fly out, will it be held up, will it just pretty much see an invisible wall as it heads towards the ivy. But it's weather applied metrics and the guys, John Farley and former Cub Brett Jackson, who really helped provide the information as you're going to hear right now, because Tony Andraki and I, well, we, we caught up with the pair. Listen up. John, I want to get started with you because when it comes to all these different models and, and graphics and, and just like looks into the future, what is weather applied metrics and how does it pertain to the game of baseball today? We quantify how the weather affects the flight of balls. So historically, a lot of times you see people say, well, the wind is blowing this way, the wind is blowing that way. And then, but, but the, the thing that we, that we always, that, that we thought was missing, and by the way, just so you know, it was, Brett, it was Brett's idea on all of this. So just, he's <laughs> so, to blame just so for you all guys know, And just so you guys know, the smart guy is the guy talking, not this guy. So <laughs> I was going to say, maybe I should have started with you, Brett. Sorry about that. <laughs> but, but the idea was, the idea was, is that, that Brett as an outfielder at times had observed that, you know, on one day, you'd hit the ball and it would do one thing on the other day and, 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 and didn't, didn't seem much different. And on the next day, it would do something vastly different. As meteorologists, we always knew that there was a much more complicated flow inside of the stadiums than simply what the flags represented. So we set out to not just model that, but tell you explicitly how the wind, temperature, pressure, et cetera, how that affects every ball's flight, not only currently, but in the future and so on. Yeah. So, Brett, uh, since John has given you so much credit there, too, can you take us behind your involvement in this, you know, going from the playing field to weather applied metrics? Yeah, I'll start with an example of from Wrigley. And Wrigley is obviously known for the elements. It's known for wind. Chicago is the windy city, although I think we all know it's not because of the actual wind. Some story about politicians talking too much, right? But it goes back to Wrigley, and there's quite an effect wind has on the ball at Wrigley. Um, I certainly got away with a couple home runs that probably shouldn't have been home runs. I know shouldn't have been home runs. But we used to do this drill with Dave McKay, who was the outfield coach and first base coach at the time. And we'd take a pitching machine out into the outfield. We'd fire the ball up. We'd crank it up to 115 whatever miles an hour, shoot it up into the air as high as we could. And you'd watch as professional outfielders would dance and stumble and trip trying to trying to make the catch and ultimately fail probably 95% of the time. Um, it was a drill to obviously increase our abilities as outfielders, but what we were doing is, is basing our assumptions on the flight of these balls with the flags. And my point, the point I'm trying to make is the flags weren't accurately representing what was actually going on in the stadium. Uh, my involvement with, with weather applied metrics actually stems from my father. He, he's one of the, the principal ideators for this company. And uh, I got particularly interested in the idea when we brought on um, these, these meteorologists. Bill Martin was one of the founders of the company. He's, he's a meteorologist for Channel 2 KTVU in the Bay Area. Um, so I got to know him and we started looking at the actual 
predictions of how much further a ball was flying, I got specifically interested in, in learning how much uh, this, this technology could show um, how the, the statistics of a specific player could change due to weather and over time and, and looking at the accuracy of numbers in certain stadiums for certain players. And that's my primary interest in this technology. Of course, I'm also very interested in uh, the application as a team, um, using it to prepare for a game, um, and of course, for viewership and how it, how it helps the fans understand what's actually going on on the field. Brent, you said you got away with a few home runs that probably weren't home runs. And you said that if, if players have the ability to apply this, this technology to their everyday game, that it may be beneficial. Do you think that if you had this information back when you were playing that you maybe would have been able to play just a little bit longer? First of all, the total of my home runs was just a few. So <laughs> I, can't say, I can't speak too honestly about that. Um, you know, I don't know how much, how much it would affect the on play. I think it might shift my approach a little bit to know in advance what's going on in each field. It certainly might uh, shift the way a pitcher thinks about approaching uh, his game on the mound. Um, and I think that's, that's of interest. I think I'm more specifically interested in how teams and players can look at where they might be able to leverage their talent and uh, hitting style uh, or pitching style in specific stadiums around around the league. And as we've talked about with the the flags, you guys both mentioned that they can kind of betray what the at wind is actually doing on the field level or even different layers as you go up. So, John, can you talk a little bit about why that might be? We see the flags on the iconic Wrigley scoreboard. You know, they're they're going out one way, or the, on the foul poles, they look like they're all blowing out. But that might not be accurately how the wind is going inside Wrigley Field, right? Yeah, that's correct. Think, imagine, imagine like a tall wall and the wind is blowing over a wall. Well, the wind doesn't just blow over the wall and keep going. What happens frequently is that the wind, once it comes over the wall, it actually now comes down on the other side. And if you, if you create like this big, in, in weather, we call these things rotors, but imagine, you know, imagine a big circle coming down. So first of all, not only does it, it goes over the wall, it goes a little bit beyond the wall, then it starts coming down, but then it starts coming back towards you. So frequently, um, what appears to be a tailwind on the flag would actually turn out to be a headwind and a downdraft on a ball that's hit. So we quantify that for every potential wind speed and direction uh, for, every, for every stadium. So we've modeled, we model the entire potential for the stadium. And once this whole thing, once we're in real time and the ball, we measure these winds at, at our weather sensors, then we plug those wind, that, that wind field into over the trajectory of the ball. So as you're talking about this too, and the, the way the wall can kind of change the factor, how about the video boards at Wrigley? How do they come into play? Because we know just a few years ago, those weren't there and a part of the equation. So how much has that potentially changed the equation on the field? Either John or Brett can speak to that. Video boards that made a, a huge impact. And there was a game just the other night, I forget which one it was, but um, effectively the wind when it was blowing directly through the video board, the video board did what I was just describing in that it created, actually was helping the balls come out, even though it was the wind was coming in from center. However, when it was just off by like, you know, 10 or 15 degrees, then it was a dead on headwind against the ball, the same ball that was hit. So it's dramatically different uh, for, for really what would you would say? I mean, you know, the, the wind is, 
freight instead of from one direction, it's only off by just a little bit and makes a huge difference. The other one is the video board and right field. That's the same thing. When the wind has come off, uh, our, when the winds come off the, the lake there, uh, what we found is that again, same story at certain specific wind directions, what looks like the ball, the wind blowing in is actually helping carry the balls out. What about this? How do you think that it can change uh, an overall team approach? If you're David Ross and you get this information and you see that the wind is blowing in from each and every single direction and it's blowing in at, at, a, at a different speed from every direction, because we've seen that on Cubs Live before the pregame show, does that change the way you're going to take every different plate appearance? I mean, are you going to say, okay, we want solid at-bats, but home runs, they're going to be few and far between today, so let's go with a different approach. Let's just try to put the ball in play. Maybe we play a little small ball because we know that it's going to be a little tougher to get it out of the yard. I certainly think it's, it's a, an intelligent strategy to make an adjustment if, if you know, generally we're, our natural approach is to, to drive the ball in the air. Um, you know, we might think about trying to keep, you know, get, shifting our approach to keep the ball down and, and hitting the ball, uh, you know, for base hits. Uh, that said, you know, it's a tricky thing as a player because you're, you're, you do want to stick with your approach and you do want to stick with your game. And, and I can speak from experience when the wind's blowing out and it's in your head that all you got to do is pop up the ball to the right field and it's going to be a homer. It, 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 can, it can have the effect of messing up your swing uh, for more than just a game. And so I think it's a fine balance as manager and as players to recognize how to make that adjustment. Um, you know, maybe the criticality of the game is, is important to consider and um, go from there. Um, certainly looking back on games is interesting also to know as a player, you know, that, that a home run was, was, you know, would have been an out and, and uh, or or on the other hand, knowing knowing that your out could have been a home run, would have been a home run otherwise, may shift the way you reflect on your performance, and it may shift the way the front office uh, um, reflects on your performance as well. One quick also is an obvious an obvious thing would be shift your outfielders. Um, you know, if if you know what's going on, you can you can position your outfielders to. to be in better positions to, to, to catch balls, you know, to field balls. How might that translate in real time too? Because uh, John, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's, you said every two seconds you're getting like an update about the wind, right, and how it affects it. So how might that affect the team in real time? And, and are we at the point where, like Cole mentioned, Ross can use this kind of technology and try to, to position outfielders, like we said, in the midst of a, of a game? We, we – um... Yeah, we, we, we provide that. Um, we, we provide that now when I say it's so, – so the thing about wind, as you know, is sometimes it can be variable and, and a lot in a short time. You know, go out to a golf course and it's blowing and it's not, it's blowing. So what you want to do is you want to we, – we, we have some, some algorithms that we, we plugged in to do some averaging so that we find that we, we find that it to be the most useful, at least based on our calculations. So we do a little bit of averaging and we say, okay, um, you know, Yes, this just to answer your question, it can be used in real time, and um, yeah, we, we definitely we want to encourage that. You know, I mean, we 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 think it's, of course, we're the developers, so you know, we love our baby. But the the thing is, we we just think it's the coolest thing ever. And we we were when we all started this thing, 
the group of people, I mean, we're a bunch of, you know, we're okay. So Brett is the one who's really made it. I mean, my, my athletic career ended when I was a freshman in high school. So I'm this wannabe guy, but I'm, but I'm kind of a nerd in the terms of the, the, the sciencey stuff. So we got a bunch of us that have really been focused on, wow, this would be so cool if we could, if we could kind of change the way people view the game and, and maybe have an impact on it. We, we just, you know, we're, and I'm, you know, huge baseball fan and the, the, the group that, that we're all assembled are, we all are. So um, we just think that it's, it's the coolest thing. And we find a lot of what could be used applications. Yeah. Uh, I just want to, I want to add on John and say, I, I mentioned that I'm really interested in how this is going to affect players in the game of baseball. I'm actually chiefly concerned with my golf swing and <laughs> specifically which club to pick up when I'm, you know, 150 out. Well, John, I want to ask you this, because you said that how excited you guys are about this. But when it comes to the game of baseball, you know, there's usually guys that are cut from one of two cloths. It's either the old school or the new school. And they have different different opinions and, you know, different approaches to the game in general. How have some of the old school managers or front offices, how have they viewed some of this technology? Because when you talk about implementing that in game, I mean, you know, David Ross is, he's still young, he's still close to the game, but then you go, and I, I don't know what, what Dusty Baker's propensity to use technology actually is, but say Dusty Baker, I mean, he's one of the older managers in Major League Baseball. Is he going to be like, well, I don't know about this. I already have enough things that I'm worried about right now. I'm not trying to worry about the weather, or this, that, and the other. It's, it's just not what I'm about. Have you, have you seen any pushback from some of these other organizations? Yeah. Yeah, we have. I mean, it's very interesting because we started our, our, our beta was in 2016 with the Columbia Fireflies, the Met single A in Columbia, South Carolina. And it was fascinating because a very young manager, all the stuff. And he's like, wow, this is so cool. But I'm not going to show it to my pitcher because I, I, I'm already working on enough things with him. So I'm not going to do that. Right. So that was his decision. Um, we worked on it with another major league team. And there were the, the, the head, the, 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 the manager said, he didn't want it. So he overruled four of his coaches who wanted it in the dugout because they thought it would be so beneficial. But yes, that was the old school guy saying, no, this is going to be a distraction. It's not going to be a help. So, but at the same time, we've worked with some people who are the kind of more of the center metrics folks. Hey, they're eating this stuff up because they can see it. And, and also we presented it to some other saber metrics folks who are like, this is awesome because now I know I, you know, definitively, I can move my outfielder, you know, cheat him 10 feet to the right, because I know now I'm giving him a better advantage, statistically speaking, uh, of catching a ball. So, yes, there have, there have been a, exactly what good point. There have been a wide range of receptions to this. Uh, I think most people find it interesting. Some people really love it. Some people are like, yeah, I, I can't I can't yet involve this in my decision making. In large part, part what Brett was saying, I mean, you probably don't want a guy uh, trying to pop up a ball and might mess up his swing, as Brett's saying. But, but I think there are some things you could do. I mean, like even one example, let's say this. Um, on a day when the wind is really impacting things and you know it, do you send the runner from third? Because the guy in right field is going to throw, uh, but he's not aware that the ball is going to be deflected by 10 feet. But we know it, you know. So um, th there are a lot of applications that, that you could use that say, yeah, you know, so – and we touched a little bit on this, but how does Wrigley compare to other fields and other ballparks around Major League Baseball? Brett, you know, obviously from playing there and as you mentioned, the Windy City, but Wrigley seems like it's kind of its own animal. You know, one day it's a, it's a 
great hitters park. The next day, it's like a pitcher's park and you can't even hit a ball out. So do you guys know um, or can compare how Wrigley compares to any of these other MLB ballparks? Uh, I'll let John answer that more specifically according to the data, but I, I, will, I will say initially every park is different and every park has different swirl and different things going on. There are parks that are in the middle of cities and there are buildings that are towering around the stadium, which is shifting the wind. Um, and then there, there are stadiums like Wrigley that, uh, in my opinion, yeah, have some of the, the greatest fluctuations. And there's certainly a reason we are excited to be uh, showcasing this technology initially with Marquee Network and the Cubs. Uh, and that is because Wrigley is so, has so much fluctuation. John, do you want to add anything on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, as a weather person, to be at Wrigley is, is a, you know, I mean, it's, it's a fantasy. I mean, it's, it's the perfect place to be because especially in the spring and fall, although in the summer as well, but, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. It's complicated and it's, it's awesome. I mean, because we're kind of like, we're kind of, uh, you know, cracking open the nut of what's really going on in the, in the situation. So, yeah, I mean, we, uh, Fenway is another good one. Uh, that, that's, that's cool. The West Coast stadiums are cool in that, in the summertime, that's when they have their strongest winds, but they have their weaker winds in like April and uh, September, October. Um, so, you know, every, every park has its own unique thing. And of course, you know, you get your elevation at, at Coors. And so, yeah, I mean, there are there, but, but to answer your question, Wrigley is a dream for us to start here and have the whole thing premiere with Marquee. It's, it's awesome. John, how does Wrigley Field compare to a, a ballpark, say, like AT&T? I mean, there's, there's so many different wins that, that come in. And like you said earlier when we talked before we got the podcast started about how, you know, the, the only guy who was really was going to hit him into the into McCovey Cove was Barry Bonds because of the winds that were blowing in. Is that another ideal ballpark just like Wrigley Field? Uh, it is in the sense that the, the, the one thing that's really good about, say, Oakland or San Francisco is that, that you have a large sample size of strong winds over several months, you know, basically June to August, it's going to be blowing hard from some form of the West. And so you, you, you can do a lot, you know, the, the wind plays a huge factor in those games. Um, and, and in some cases, unbeknownst to them. So yeah, it's a, uh, but, but Wrigley is more variable. That's the difference. But let me give you one interesting thing about, uh, well, for me, it's interesting. Uh, uh, San Francisco, they asked this guy, this physicist, they said, Hey, you know, we want to move these games from seven to six. And the reason why we want to do that is because we want to have more kids be able to uh, enjoy these games and be able to get home on school nights. Mm -hmm. Great idea. So they say to the physicist, is this going to make any real difference in say home run? And the physicist says, well, you know, the temperature degree difference between that, that time is only about one degree. So it's going to make about a two foot difference. So effectively it's negligible. What the physicist wasn't thinking about was that what you were doing was you were moving the, by, by moving the game from seven to six, you're moving an hour more into the teeth of the sea breeze that peaks at like 4.30 in the afternoon. So it was going to have a huge impact on the game. But again, it, it just depended on who you were asking. I mean, as a weather person, as a meteor, meteorologist, you're like, oh, crap, that's going to have a huge impact. But, but um, you know, and it does. It, it, it does. I mean, it's, so, so it's going to be much harder to hit home runs in the first three innings than it otherwise would be, um, you know, just changing the time of the game. But it would benefit their pitchers, though, because the wind would be blowing at the pitcher's back. So you yeah, have Madison yeah. Bumgarner back in the day on the mound. That's, that's pretty much a good that's decision. Good yeah, Absolutely. and again, 
as you say, Cole, and the, the way it works is, remember, when they set up that park in San Francisco, the whole idea was that, well, part of it was they wanted to make a more pleasant experience than what it was at Candlestick because of all the wind. So they faced it out into the bay, but they were thinking that they were going to have a tailwind for the hitters. But again, the flags don't tell the story. It turns out to be a headwind and a downdraft in so many cases when that sea breeze blows. John, that was kind of a perfect segue into what I was actually going to ask, too, is how much, because there is so much day baseball at Wrigley in a normal season, how much does day versus night play a factor? And how much do the temperatures play a factor as well at Wrigley, uh, you know, from July to a cold April day? And how much, like, how does that affect everything with the wind? Well, uh, so, so we are, the way it works, so we've done a whole climatology, meaning we've, we've looked at every month at, at, in Chicago and all this stuff. So what I can say is we are collecting data as we go and we continue to learn more and we will learn more. But just generally speaking, warm air is less dense, so the balls carry much farther. Okay? So, so on, a, on, a, on a warm day, the balls are just going to carry simply because um, you know, it, it's, it's, there, there's more than simply the, the trajectory in the air. The other thing that happens is on warmer days, um, the ball comes off the bat faster. So the idea is this, is that the bat, so, so the, the, the biggest example that you can give in this sort of thing is not only does it get warm, but it also dries things out. So think about this. A baseball is, it absorbs the moisture in the air around it. So the longer that a baseball is in, the, is in its environment, it will absorb it. So what we found at the minor league park here in Columbia, South Carolina, was that the balls are left out all the time, and it's wicked humid here. So what ends up happening is the balls become fairly spongy. So they don't come off the bat as hard. Whereas in the major, league, in the major leagues, these balls are, you know, they, they go through balls fairly quickly, and it depends on where they're stored and so on. Um, so humidity has a huge factor. From the, from the wettest ball, if you will, to the driest ball, is a difference of 50 feet in carry. And that has everything to do with how hard it comes off the bat. Because the ball, once it gets drier and drier and drier, it's like a cue ball, whereas if not, it's more like a sponge. So think about what happened. Like at Coors Field, for example, they started putting balls in humidors, and it reduced the number of home runs by 0.7 per game. And so, yes, there's a huge elevation factor, but, but the dryness of the air and the temperature, there are all these factors. And, and we've, been, we've been working on this whole, this whole crack in this nut for five years, so we've, we've, we've feel like we have a pretty good handle on what's going on in those circumstances. And, and John's also been cracking nuts on, on how the, the flight of airplanes and rockets work his entire life. So add that to the mix. And, you know, we got a, we got a whole other piece being added to this, this uh, recipe. Yeah. So we're, we're to the wise. I'll, I'll you out, John. All, all you college pitchers out there, if, if you're looking for somewhere to go play ball, I think a, a Southern state with high humidity, would be a good decision. Now, John, you said you've been working on this for, for at least five years. Brett, take us into the future. Five years, 10 years from now, will weather-applied metrics be applied to every single team in Major League Baseball? Yeah, and I don't think it just stops at baseball. I think there are a lot of sports that, that have the that we have a huge opportunity to expand into. Um, yeah, I foresee this being a part of the game. I, I, I certainly foresee this, and we are seeing this, being a part of the viewer experience. Um, recognizing what's going on on a golf course or a baseball field or a cricket field. We're also interested in how this is affecting gambling and how, and how that plays into, into the picture. Five years from now, I could see this being uh, part of every team's um, approach to the game, something that we talk about in, 
in the clubhouse before walking into the dugout before the first pitch, something that's talked about during the game. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to recognize the environment, the climate we're in and how it's affecting our gameplay. Um, and I think my, my handicap is going to go down too as a, as a side effect. What, what's your handicap right now? Too high. I'm not going to share that. <laughs> my golf game is weak, man. I, is I it double or game. single digits? It's double digits. Let's okay. go. Come on. Do you, I grew do, you up. Have a, do you have a child? I have a child due in January. Okay, well, you have no excuse until January. Once you actually have a child, then that's when your handicap is supposed to go into double digits. That's, that's how and it this goes. Is a, this is a really poor excuse, too, but my dad growing up, just a quick story. I, you know, I was a left-handed batter my, my entire life. My dad was so afraid that I would mess up my baseball swing to play golf left-handed that he forced me to play righty. And then, you know, I have a decent hack. You know, I, I throw right-handed, so at least there was some familiarity on that side of the golf ball. But it's my excuse. I'm sticking with it. If I was a left-handed golfer, I'd be a scratch golfer. Well, how about this? Since you don't have that swing to mess up anymore, have you tried to get some lefty sticks and play from the left-hand side? I mean, that would make a whole lot of sense, wouldn't it? Cool. I pick it up, and it's like a pure turnover. I can't make contact. I mean, con well, it's actually too, too close to the truth with my baseball career to continue on that path. I, I, I have the same trouble making pure contact with the golf ball left-handed as I did right now uh, in baseball. John, how's your golf game? A lot of nice tracks down there in South Carolina. Oh, yeah, a lot of nice tracks. But um, I, this is what I'll tell you is that, that uh, I get invited to these golf tournaments, and I stopped telling them my real handicap because I was always paired with the – I mean, very nice, but 65-year-old women. So, um, you know. So, so I, stopped, I stopped being honest about my, about my handicap. I'm like, yeah, just put me with a group that you like. Yeah, those six, those sixty-five-year-old ladies—they go tee to green and they two putt more times than not. But if you guys ever need anyone uh, who who can get it off the tee box, but uh, four putts on the regular, I'm your guy. I'm your Let's guy. Let's do it okay. sometime. Let's do Absolutely. it sometime. I'm definitely unlike the sixty-five-year-old ladies, I'm trying to muscle everything onto the green from you know wherever I'm standing. So exactly, what's a par five? I yeah, haven't seen one that I couldn't reach into. <laughs> yeah, we're the sixty-five-pound weights, you know. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. And, you know, we're really proud to be one of the front runners here at Marquee Sports Network that are able to use this technology and be able to be able to bring it to the fans and let them know what's going on in the air during a game, make them just a little bit smarter when it comes to the game. John Farley and Brett Jackson, guys, thanks so much. Appreciate the time. Look forward to talking with you very soon. Thank you, Phil. Thanks. Great being on the show with you. Thank you. Hey, Tony, big thanks to John and Brett for stopping by the podcast. Uh, when the Cubs come back home and face off with the Cardinals, you'll be able to see all those weather applied metrics on Cubs Live. We're going to give you the skinny. We're going to get our Tom Skilling on, essentially. And, Tony, it's really cool technology to be able to see how that jet stream plays a part in each and every single ball game at Wrigley Field. Yeah, it really is. I think it's awesome. Uh, just because I always thought, okay, look at the flags, the wind's blowing out, and and it's blown out everywhere or it's blowing out just to right, which means it's not really doing a whole lot in left, but just to them going through and explaining how it affects fly balls, line drives. It can affect uh, something to right center, but not to center field. It could be blowing out to right field, but in from left field. It's like, it's fascinating to see the, the, the wind whip around and, and all these graphics that we have aired in the middle of the games and in pre and post shows it have been really, really cool. So I appreciate the time that they took to explain that all to us. Yeah, I want to see a day when the wind is blowing in, I mean, at a gale force. And David Ross and the rest of the Cubs are saying, you know what, guys, we're not swinging for the fences today. We're going to see if we can nickel and dime a team until they break, see how many bunts we can lay down and see how many hit and runs 
we can execute because after, after all, you know, like I say, Tony, bunts win ball games. <laughs> and I feel like around Major League Baseball, especially in this day and age, I mean, there's there's such an aversion to laying one down, you know, whether whether it's a drag or a push or even a, a good old fashioned suicide squeeze. I mean, you just don't see it as much with the weather applied metrics. Maybe we'll see that you know, a renaissance when it comes to the small ball. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I want to see a renaissance with stolen base, like especially if they can use weather and be like, oh, the wind is actually pushing you to second a little bit more. So Nico Horner has another foot that because the wind is at his back a little bit like I, I'm joking, but that would be pretty cool to see something like that play out. But yeah, when it comes to small ball, the thing that I miss the most isn't the bunting, it's the stolen bases. So I, I love stolen base. It's one of my favorite plays in baseball. And it, it would be really cool to see that more. But I agree with you too. just how weather and wind plays an impact, I, I can see it having an impact on baseball moving forward. Yeah, if you like stolen bases, then you already know that the most unbreakable record in the history of Major League Baseball is uh, Ricky Henderson, 1,406 stolen bases. Nobody even has 1,000, Tony. I mean, if we're talking about a record being broken, I mean, you, you have to at least get in the 900 vicinity before you're even in the conversation. Yeah, and I mean, 130 in a season, I, guys aren't even stealing 30 in a season anymore. So, like, I, I just I can't fathom that. To basically have a stolen base in almost every game played, uh, on average anyways, it, it, it's just it's mind-boggling. Yeah, unbelievable. R Ricky Henderson with three seasons of 100-plus stolen bases. And I think every baseball conversation, if you really wanted to, can go back to Ricky Henderson, born in Chicago, but our producer over at, at Cubs Live, Nick Steger, he actually brought up the fact, and I, I don't mean to get derailed since we're wrapping up the podcast here, but he gave me Kirby Puckett numbers, another Chicago native versus Ricky Henderson. And as, as a kid that grew up watching Kirby Puckett, knowing that he's a Chicago native, just seeing his actual numbers and putting them into context, I mean, if, if you haven't seen Kirby Puckett's numbers lately, Tony, you might want to go back and, and, and revise those a little bit. All right, yeah, let me check it out. But, yeah, I, I mean, Ricky Henderson was incredible, and he played until he was, what, almost 50, like in independent ball and stuff. So Ricky's career was it, one of a kind and something like we will never see again. Greatest leadoff hitter of all time for sure. Absolutely. Let's see what can happen when you start talking weather-applied metrics. You get a little <laughs> sidetracked. You go into Ricky Henderson talk, and then Kirby Puckett jumps in the conversation. And in the end, it's just good baseball talk every single time. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Trust, Don't forget, you can download and you can also subscribe to the pod over on Spotify or Apple Podcast, and you can do it today. So for Tony Andracki, I'm Cole Wright. We'll see you next time right here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Mm -hmm.